The Dub Jelson Podcast is presented by Indy Lumberjack. They proudly offer reasonable rates, safe, top-quality, courteous, efficient service. Let Indy Lumberjack help you reach your goal of maintaining beautiful and safe trees. They're by far the best in the business. You can get a free quote on IndyLumberjack.com or email IndyLumberjack at gmail.com for inquiries. Again, get a free quote on IndyLumberjack.com. What's up, everyone? We're back with another episode of Dub Jelson Podcast, and today I have UFC Bantamweight, Miles Johns. Miles, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. Um, I know you told me uh, earlier in the week, I want to say congrats on um, you guys having your third child um, here in the next week or so. Um, I know that's super excited for you guys. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, it is. Uh... It is exciting, man. You know, uh, finally feel like this uh, baby stage and pregnancy stage. So um, it's it's real exciting. I'm I'm happy and I'm so excited to meet the third baby boy, man. They're all different. They're uh, <laughs> they're the same, but they're so different. It's crazy. Yeah. Have has having a family changed how you've kind of had an outlook on your career in MMA as a whole? Man, absolutely. I mean, before I was just like some young kid who wanted to fight MMA and wanted to try to make living out of it. And it's like, this is really what I do. You know, this is what I put my time into. If I'm not with my family and I'm training, this is, this is my career. So it's definitely gave me a different outlook. It's um, made me train different. It's made me... Um, it's just, it's just changing my, my life in a whole, you know, I don't even, I can't remember I'm having kids really knows uh, that I, I know that I've grown so much in the process, but it's like, I can't even remember not having kids. So it's, um, sorry, my phone slipped there. It's definitely, um, it's been a huge change and I'm so, I'm just so grateful for him. So. How old are your other two? My oldest one is four and my youngest one is two. So I got a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and then get to have a newborn. So we're trying to trying to get them all through, you know, get them all through that baby stage and stuff and uh, have them grow up together. That's how me my siblings were. I have, a, I have my sister and then my brother and uh, younger brother, and we're all like three, two years apart, just boom, boom, boom. And um, I think that keeps them tight-knit. And, uh, you know, I won't, be, I won't be having a baby when I'm like 40. Yeah. <laughs> five years old you know so yeah yeah um are they old enough to kind of realize what you do for a living or are they too young for that they realize it like um my oldest one he's like I said he's four he's just now starting to get a real grasp of it and he really um watched my last fight they both watched my last fight was the first one that they watched but he uh yeah he's definitely getting a grasp and understanding what's going on my youngest one he's real smart he he knows what I do and like he like if I say I'm going to work or something he'll like kind of do his little shadow boxing and stuff and then when they see the UFC they say dad has work and stuff like that but my older one he has a his real solid grasp on it he knows that I'm going to fight and that I could win or lose when I was leaving it was the last time I was gonna see them I was telling him like it's the last time I see you before my fight blah blah and he, he kind of started tearing up and stuff he's a real empathetic dude and real um. I wouldn't say emotional, but he's like, like uh, 
I mean, he's he's really in tune with emotions and he knows what's going on. He's a real sensitive, smart, sweet kid. So he kind of started tearing up when I was leaving his stuff. And that was a big moment for me because I realized how much he does have a grasp on and how much he is invested. And um, that means uh, more to me than words can really describe. So, um, but yeah, he's just starting to get a grasp on it and stuff. So, I mean, as time goes on, they'll learn and understand it more and more. But I kind of enjoy the phase when they just know that their dad's kind of like his son. That's pretty, I don't want them really thinking about the possibility of me winning and losing and all that comes with it. So. Yeah. Uh, that's super cool. Uh, I was, I was, I, I've always wanted to ask like a fighter this, is there anyone like maybe a dad of one of your friends of one of your son's friends that like try to come up to you and talk about fighting or anything like that? Maybe someone from the school or they kind of like leave you be. No, they, they ask about it. I mean, it, it's kind of, I mean, the closer I, I mean, yeah, ask about it. It's kind of like at a surface level most of the time. It's kind of just like, hey, how you feeling? Like, you get, like, you get away in that type of stuff. But it's like, is it's a little more, once I get a little deeper, closer than surface level, then they ask a little more and stuff. And I mean, I appreciate it, you know. Mm-hmm. Most of the time people want to ask, and I, and I ask them about what they do too. You know, most of the time, you don't really want to just go off talking about what you do. I mean, I'm sure you experience the same thing. If people ask you what you do, you might just say, oh, I have a podcast, yeah. but I want to, you don't want to just go off without them asking more details. Oh, how does that work? Like, when do you do that? Like, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. as they ask more questions and I'm more than happy to open up and talk to them about it a little more, but I also just try to make sure it's not like, um, it's kind of a center of attention thing, you know, like if you're a fighter or in the UFC, wherever you go, it's like, uh, people feel the necessity to have to ask you about that or talk about that. But I try to make sure I ask other people about what they do too. Cause this for me is really just a job. I mean, I love it. It's who I am. My career. I mean, it's just been who I am my whole life. You know what I mean? So like other people in their job or their careers, I'm sure that's who they are and that's what their life revolves around too. So the more I ask them about what they do and the details of it and stuff like that, that the more I the more than I like that because I get to really um like I get to give people the inside knowledge of what it's really like to be a pro fighter you know like what it's and not just what people may think it's like I get to really tell them and they get a real grasp that's good for the MMA community in a whole mm-hmm. yeah I mean I've seen that like with my mom she she doesn't like MMA or UFC or anything like that she kind of thinks that all these all these fighters are all these like super tough dudes that like that's all they do is fight and they don't she doesn't really look behind the fighter um in the way that I've been able to with with all the podcasts that I've been able to do so I think it's really cool that um you can kind of look behind the fighter and um like your your son's uh parent your son's friend's parents can kind of like see who you actually are as opposed to just seeing you fight on tv Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I agree. And I mean, you say look behind the beyond the fighter and stuff. I mean, we're all fighters in different ways. So, you know, it's uh, looking looking beyond humans, and you know, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. Uh, so obviously, we're in the midst of this whole COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, how have you kind of used that to hang around with your family and try to start getting ready for um, your third child? I mean, to be honest with you, my life hasn't really changed too much. I mean, I'm with my family anyway. I'm doing the stuff I do 
anyway, I'm kind of like a fighter and stay-at-home dad. So, you know, I um, stay away from the club scene or going out to eat or anything like that too much regardless. But it's, I mean, it's changed things a little bit. I mean, the biggest thing I think is that kids' areas aren't open as much. Yeah. Like I can't go, I can't take my kids play and let them just play in the play area and stuff like that. I mean, that's a big hit for my day or or some at the beginning, some parks went open and stuff like that. That was tough, you know, Um, but it's uh, giving me perspective. I'm super grateful that it doesn't affect as much as it affects some older people and things like that. Cause if it was a, if it was something, a disease that affected kids, I'd know that I'd have a completely different outlook on it and the stress level would be way, way higher. So as for the families that it has affected and the people that it has affected, um, but it's just kind of an eye-opening experience to me of what we need to be prepared for as a whole, you know, as a human race and stuff. Because let's say that COVID-19 affected kids and healthy middle-aged people and older people all the same, it would be um, a whole different ball game. So, yeah, I'm just taking it uh, one day at a time and trying to do what I can. Mm. And then I saw just recently, actually, when I was doing a little bit of research, um, I saw you do Doodles in the Rough. Um, I thought that was really cool. So for people that don't know about that, talk about that and kind of how that came to be. Yeah, it's just me and my wife's business. We raise golden doodles. Um, We have a couple, four or five moms that are rotating throughout the year. Rotating, I mean, and having litters um, that we're breeding in. It's awesome, man. I love Golden Doodles. I think they're the best dogs in the world. They're uh, incredibly personable. They understand human emotions. They're so in tune. I don't even have to, like, I can be chilling with my doodles and I don't have to talk to them. Like, they understand what I'm thinking. They feel me if I'm mad. They feel me if I'm happy. And that's dogs in general, you know. But for some reason, Golden Doodles have a different way about them they look in the eyes and you really a lot of dogs don't really like to look you in the eyes um but they do and you really feel what they're feeling and they mostly they just take on your feelings you know like if you're angry they're gonna feel that too or they're gonna feel anxious that you're angry they're gonna feel full of love too so i just love them and they're great dogs and it's a great business because my wife and i can do it from home you know like i'm, I'm at home and i'm taking care of my moms and taking care of puppies when we have them and it's 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 awesome and then we're blessed and families with beautiful I mean when people come over whether they have kids or don't have kids whatever it is anytime you get a new puppy um it's a it's a great day so we have people everybody who's contact with us or in contact with us and wanting to get a puppy is prepared for a great day and when they come get their puppy it's a great day for them so I, I just really enjoy it man it's um it's it's a great business to be in and my wife's mom is actually the one who started us on it She's been raising golden doodles um, for decades. She's like an OG with it. She knows everything there is to know about golden doodles. So, uh, yeah, she's a guru. Um, so I just, uh, I just appreciate the guidance, and I love to be able to be at home with my family and my kids doing it. My point to where they don't want to let the puppies go. So that's a whole new um, thing we're going to have to – tackle but we'll be ready we'll we'll deal with that as it comes to uh how often like I know you said there's five that kind of cycle through how often do they have puppies and how many are usually like in each litter it's so it's so random I mean I have like five moms but 
maybe one year all five of them cycle twice maybe one year only three of them cycle once so i could have three litters a year it just depends on um how it just depends on them you know it's just, it's just like women with getting pregnant sometimes sometimes they get pregnant i mean any t every time they try sometimes it it, do it doesn't happen the way it is so i mean Um, this year, um, thank God for that. And everybody in quarantine has decided they want a puppy. You know, we're all home again, potty trying a puppy. So it's been a great year for our business, and I'm so grateful for that. But yeah, usually I would say on average we have about five litters a year. Right. Oh. Um, so what did your training schedule look like? Obviously, um, you're in Texas, correct? Yeah. So I'm like from what I've heard, Texas isn't totally shut down. Um, so how was your training affected and like, what would your weekly training schedule be like both before and during this COVID time? Uh, the COVID, the shutdown was only for it. Uh, it was only for a little bit, you know, it wasn't for too long. Things are still different. That wasn't for too long, but anyway, like, yeah, my training schedule just, I just pretty much try to do a two day. You know, I try to start my morning with training. Well, I start my morning with my family, get up, get my kids fed get them going and stuff, get them dressed, whatever it is. And then I like to train right away. Training, eat, relax, recover, whatever. And then I always do a training in the evening. I pretty much start my day with training, end my day with training, and that keeps me on track. All the things in between the day will handle. You know, I'll, I'll, I can eat right throughout the day. I can, um, the day I can drink my water throughout the day, but where people get lost is in the morning. If, if you don't start your morning right, you eat donuts for breakfast or whatever it is, uh, Eggo waffles and your morning's not gonna start right and you're probably not gonna get on track the whole day. Or you can be on track the whole day and then at nighttime you get off track and then your day is not really ruined, but I mean, you're not as motivated and stuff. So every, I just always like to start my day with training and end my day with training. And that keeps me on track, keeps my mind focused and I, Everything keeps my body to be. Mm -hmm. And then you only fought once during this uh, pandemic time. Um, and it was on Halloween on the same card as Anderson, Anderson Silva. So what was that whole experience like? Anderson Silva, yeah. But also on the same card as my teammate, Uriah Hall. Oh, beat Anderson Silva that night. And we went through the whole training camp together. Yeah, we were doing all of our sessions together and stuff. So that's pretty awesome i mean mad respect for him i've been watching i mean obviously he's a goat of the game but um i was happy to see my guy right beat him because he's been deserving of it but um i love fine during the pandemic honestly <laughs> <laughs> um everything was so to the point there was no room for any um bs you know they had a personal car for you wherever you need to go it was all very time restricted and very boom 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 and that's how i like to operate and so i operate in my day it's here, there, here, like, I mean, every, I like this, just kind of how I am. So I liked it. Um, I, th I know that it's short lived and I'm going to be happy for when the fans are able to be back and I'm going to, you know, I'll be happy to get back to the normal way, I guess. But also at the same time, I'm enjoying this pandemic time where it's just like, I mean, weigh-ins was like, you have to, you make weight or you go to the scale at the hotel to check your weight. Weigh-ins start at 9 a.m. They end at 11 a.m. You can go there anytime you want. The cars are waiting for you. If you show there, show up there at 9, you get right on the schedule or right on the scale. 
you make weight and then you get to rehydrate. It's very like, there's no, no room for BS. So I, I really liked that. It was, um, it was a cool experience. Mm-hmm. So pre COVID, what was that um, weigh in um, kind of process like? Cause you, you've mentioned twice that there's really no BS. So what was like all involved in that uh, weight, like not weight cutting process, but uh, actually weighing in. Like pre COVID, it was like you show up there at nine or 11, whatever it is. And then um, you got to do some paperwork and all this stuff. And then they put you on the scale in order of like the card or however it is post COVID. It's like weighing is from nine to 11. You get in your car, you go over to the weigh-in area, whoever shows up in that time, they get to get on the scale right away. And then you do your paperwork and all this stuff. It's not, I mean, it was just very, um, very on point, very, very fast. Mm-hmm. And obviously, previous to your last fight, um, you suffered your first loss, your first professional loss um, in MMA. So how did you kind of bounce back and reset your mind? I know I read a, an article from the UFC site that you were talking about how it was kind of a burden lifted off of your shoulders. Yeah, absolutely. It, um, it was. I mean, it's just like, a, you know, I didn't really feel like I had that burden before. Once it happened, then I felt the weight of that burden lift off my shoulders. And it was, I mean, it was just, um, yeah, it was just a freeing experience. You know, I've, I've been before that, even in my amateur career, I, I, I'd only lost like my second fight as an amateur. And then I won five fights in a row after that. And then nine pro fights. So, was, I mean, 14 fights in a row, you know, and uh, you don't get out this game unscathed, you know, and you always know that. And I think I was, I went into the UC with that. I mean, I, I knew, I knew potential, and I knew what I had, and I know that I'm going to be a champion. But at the same time, you know that there, you're going to face some adversity in life and everything. You're going to face adversity, so it's kind of like waiting for that and waiting to see how you'd react to that. And once I once I saw it, and once I met it face to face, it just was a real, real eye opening and real relieving, I guess. And so, it is what it is, man. You know, I'm all props to Mario. You know, it was his night that night. I don't, I don't really consider him the better fighter. You know, I think I won round. I think I won round one and he caught me. I mean, he had a good game plan. He worked on that. He caught me. There's no excuses. It is what it is. But, um, but it let me know that uh, I can be a champion and that once you face that adversity, I mean, it's just like uh, you can do it. You can do it with anything. So um, I'm happy I got that out of the way and I'm, I've been ready to just get started on my career after that. So. Mm. So what kind of change for you in your head, and physically both outside of the octagon and inside the octagon, like what kind of changes did you make? Hmm. You don't have to make too many changes in training. Um, It's just, uh, you're free. I I, I just felt, I guess I just felt a little free. It didn't really matter. I've seen, I've seen the worst of it. And I mean, it wasn't just me. I mean, also, my wife, I mean, we watch fights together all the time, and we see somebody get knocked out, and we, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit. She never wants to see me in that position and stuff. So for everybody and everybody behind me, you know, all my all my family and all everything like that, it was like, I mean, I was the undefeated fighter. The one fight I lost in my amateur career was was real controversial. Um, I was smashing that guy, and then the ref stopped it a bet. I mean, it was real controversial, so I'll just leave it at that. But everybody kind of seeing me as like um, – would never lose, you know, so I think it was just um, 
we all experienced that together. I saw that it wasn't that big of a deal, you know, and um, there wasn't really many changes I had to make, except it was just a, a natural feeling, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I could I could just fight. I could fight my fight, and then you know, and there's nothing nothing to worry about. Yeah, one hundred percent. And obviously, you showed that with your with your last outing, um, that KO win. I mean, that was no. I showed all my friends that um, when I when I was talking to you about coming on the podcast, they're all like, "Oh man, he's a savage, man." So, <laughs> what did that? I mean, that was your first finish in the UFC. What did that feel like? Uh, that was also a very freeing moment. I mean, it's all, yeah, it's all, it's all like a crazy game, you know. Like I, I was, I was looking to try to hurt that guy the whole time, and I was looking for some heavy shots and things like this, but. The uppercut that I actually put him out was one that I wasn't really throwing heavy. It was like I was – it was a natural thing. We are in the transition. Everything we train in our gym is fighting in the transition, and I just threw the uppercut naturally, and it it touched him and put him out. So that was a great experience, too. I feel like um, if you're in a game and you unlock the next level, I feel like I unlock the next level to have that – it's like a touch, you know. I don't have to – I'm a strong guy, explosive guy. I try to – hit people hard every time I'm in there with them. <laughs> but sometimes it's the shots hit people hard with. It's the ones that just you let go and that you train for and that are natural, that are really going to put people lights out. So doing that and seeing the effects of it has really uh, been eye-opening too. And I'm like, man, I can, like, I just I just got to go out there and flow. And if I flow, one of these shots are going to land and get put people lights out. So it's been a whole nother – we entered a whole new, whole new level. So it was mm-hmm. awesome. So then moving on from that, uh, do you have your eye on anyone that you think could be a possible opponent um, for your next bout? Yeah, a couple guys. Um, Nathan Maines just had a good knockout. He's 2-0 in the UFC. Um, a new guy to the game, kind of a up-and-comer that I, I'd like to fight him. Uh, Chris Gutierrez, he said my name a couple times, and we've been looking at each other on the local scene for a while. Um, I'd love to fight him. Um, yeah, you know, Domingo Calarte, he was mad when I beat one of his teammates and stuff, and now he's a Bantamweight in the UFC. I'd love to fight him, too. I mean, I'm just watching the Bantamweight division. This so COVID has been such a blessing with so many guys getting signed and in the UFC and stuff. You know, there's, um, the opportunities are endless. So there's a couple of guys that um, I'm thinking about, but there's also I also know that there's a ton of guys that I maybe haven't even heard of them or maybe saw a glimpse and don't remember their name, but – I'm just, I'm just gaming ready for anybody. You know what I mean? Like, um, mm-hmm. I feel, I feel like we've reached a different level and that, um, I'm going to tap into my true potential really. And we're, we're going to make our run. We're ready to make our run. So yeah, I'm just, I'm just ready to go whenever they call me. Mm-hmm. And then looking farther down the line, is there anyone that's maybe ranked in like top 10, top five that you've kind of been eyeing for a while, maybe, I've uh, been a fan of theirs in the past that you're looking forward to possibly fighting. I mean, I know all those guys in the top rankings too, and they really weren't that far ahead of me in sense of like time-wise. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ricky Simone was the um, LFA champion. He was a champion right before I was a champion. So he was the LFA champion. He went to the UFC, then I was the LFA champion. He's like number nine in the division now. Casey Kinney stepped in for a fight that I actually broke my hand. I broke my hand and was supposed to fight for the – LFA belt against Cheryl and um, 
he was he was able to step in and take that fight and knock Vince out got to UFC now he's about to fight Dominic Cruz you know so I see all these guys in this level is all I mean it's I mean rankings are one thing but we're all on the same platform you know what I mean so I would jump into any of those fights and um, I feel like I'd be ready because those guys were barely ahead of me you know they're seniors when I was a junior so um, it is what it is with that I'm, re- I'm ready for them so I mean yes I'm eyeing those guys and I see potential fights there but the Bantamweight division just flipped and stacked I mean they're starting to work their way through it now Cheeto Veer is finally like ranked number 14 I think really he's a top five guy you know what I mean so I mean I think they I think there's some fights that need to be made to really get some legit rankings going on in that division and once those do once that happens then maybe I'll have a a goal fight but right now all those guys in the top 10 I mean they're not really goal fights it's just like their fights that could happen at any time, you know, and you know what I mean? If we're fighting in the street, like, let's go. You guys aren't better than me. I know they're not better than me. I could be in the top 10. So um, I'm just trying to stay, I'm trying to stay humble, but you also got to be, you also got to be ready. I mean, it's a fight game. You know what I mean? There's not much of a difference between 10th ranked guy and the 30th ranked guy or 40th ranked guy. You should be ready to fight anybody. So um, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just keeping my eye on the division, man, and I'm uh, just waiting to see what what uh, the plan is, what God has planned for me. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there are some damn good matchups coming up. You got Jose Aldo and Cheeto Vera, like you mentioned. Uh, Marlon Marais and Rob Font are fighting on that same card. And then uh, next year you got Dominic Cruz and Casey Kenny, like you mentioned. And then they're going to try to rebook Jan versus Sterling. Um, so how do you think some of those fights go? Yeah. I think Dominic Cruz beats Case Kinney. I think, um, you know, I think, I think he, I think he wins that. I think, I don't know, Auto and Auto and Vera is a good fight. But to, in my head, it's like, why not Auto and Cruz? Because those guys were two like ex champs, like in high up there. And then Cheeto and Kinney. I mean, Cheeto and Kinney to me is a super telling fight because yeah. those dudes are two prospects coming up. I mean, to see those two dudes fight and to see who wins that. That is a very telling fight, in my opinion. Or uh, you could throw Jonathan Martinez in there, who's had some good knockouts lately. Like, throw him in the mix. Like, Cheeto, Kenny, and Dominic Cruz, and Ricky Simone. I mean, you make those make those four guys fight. We're going to really see who could be the next champ in the Bantamweight division and go from there. Um, Al Jermaine Sterling and Petriani is a very good fight. I really don't know. I mean, if Al Jermaine's on, I think he wins. If he's not on, which a lot of times he's not on, then, I mean, Petriani could definitely break him and get that dub. Um, I mean, it's not your ability to get in the win. It's just, uh, yeah, man, the bandway division is very, um, we don't know what's going on right now. We don't know. We don't know who's the best since, I mean, I think triple C was definitely the best in the division. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's crazy. Easy. I think he was the absolute best. And now that he's gone, we don't really know who the best is. I don't feel like, so it's going to be, this next year is going to be real telling, real telling year for this division. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to get your opinion on something that's kind of been like out in the news recently. Uh, TJ Dillashaw is coming off his suspension in uh, January, so a little less than a month. Um, so do you think that he deserves a title fight or do you think that he should have to earn it back with a win or two before he um, goes and fights for the title again? I think he should have one win. I think he should fight somebody like Corey Sanhagen. Mm-hmm. The winner of that is gets that shot at the belt. You know, it's kind of kind of crazy for him to come right back, right into a title fight. I mean, he's one of the greatest of all time, too. But um, 
yeah, I think one win will. I mean, if he is one of the, if he is one of the greatest of all times, and still isn't one win isn't nothing, right? <laughs> you know, make him fight one time against Corey Sanhagen, and then he get and then winner of that gets title shot. Yeah, I mean that that makes all the sense in the world to me. Um, hopefully, the UFC will make that. But I mean, I've held you for long enough. Um, I don't want to hold you any longer. Thank you so much for doing this, man. Um, it's truly an honor, and I'm excited to see you get back in there soon. Hey, I appreciate it, dog. Yeah, take Thanks care. Stay safe. Having me on. All right, you too.